You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 40. We have Quadra Chit. Ooh, wow. That's a tough one. Sharky, that's a tough one. Episode 40. We're going into the quad. So, this is Quadra. I can't do it. Quadra. And I practiced it too. <laughs> quadra. Quadra. I, quadra, you try it, Sharky. <laughs> no. <Okay. laughs> what, you, what, you, what you should do is record it and then be like, all right, here we go. We have Quadra and Virgin Tuple, our episode <laughs> out. But, hey, that, yeah, that flow, that was great. That was seamless. It's, it's qua- Quadra, Quadra, quadra Tuple, something like that. Qu- there you go. Quadragin Tuple. That's what it is. Quadragin tupled. We have Quadragin Tuple, our episode output. I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. All right. That's right. I don't know. People surprisingly, people actually enjoy this. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> well, you know what? I want someone else to try to say that like three times fast. It's and and it's a tough one. Good job for the four of you that are still listening right now. Right. All right. So I think I heard another voice. Somehow he got in again. Who's there? He didn't get in. Actually, we just never let him go from last. He's just been sitting. I've been waiting for us to do this again. I just never went home. You just never went home. I'm just glad you guys showed back up. Introduce yourself, sir. Ah, this is Mike Olbinski, and um, I'm glad to be back. We are very glad to to have you back, Mike. <laughs> Tell people a little bit about yourself. I am uh, a professional photographer full-time. I do uh, wedding photography, and um, my big thing is I do storm chasing and um, storm photography, time-lapse video, and uh, it's kind of my passion that I'm getting to live out right now, which is pretty awesome. Excellent. Um, so the, actually bringing up uh, storm chasing and storm photography, uh, that's that's kind of a good segue because that's the, the premise of this show. And for those that are listening, we're taking more of a kind of conversational format. I really enjoyed the way episode 39 went with, with Sharky and Mike, and we just kind of riffed for the episode on Nikon. Uh, and we can <laughs> keep going. Or <laughs> Brian hated the first 38 episodes. No, no, no. I, I was just like, you know, I was, I really enjoyed having that conversation. I think it was, it was a lot of fun. And I even mentioned that we were going to talk about storm chasing in the last episode, but we, we just kept uh, going on with the Z system that we didn't have time. Which no one knows because I edited that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I saved you and you just doxed yourself. Now you have so to it, fix this. So. Is it like a TLDR is like basically no dual card slot fail? Basically, um, I'm not cutting this out. This is raw. That's fine. So, all right, here's the thing. Before we get into the whole kind of nitty gritty of storm chasing and, and kind of like extreme weather photography, you'd mentioned you also do weddings and stuff. So if you had to, you know, a pie chart, 100% is all of your business. How would you break down in terms of time spent or like income generated with storm chasing and then like wedding stuff. Wait, before you get there, how many card slots does your camera have? <laughs> well, combined, how many cameras I have and they all have dual card slots. So probably like 12 card slots or something. I don't even know how many cameras I have. It would have been awesome if you said they all have dual <laughs> card slots and you then gave an odd number. Like yeah. there are 15, 15 card uh, slots, but they all have two. I mean, I had to go back to bed if I did that. Maybe oh one gosh. of them died. Who knows? It happens. <laughs> That's, That's another point, reason why people have said that before. They've said my slot number one died and I was in Iceland. I forgot who said that. And so thankfully I had slot number oh, two. Otherwise I would have been another hosed. Thing I had, that's another thing I hadn't, I hadn't thought, thought about besides that. I, the, the, the card itself. But if the slot dies for whatever reason, that's a really good point. 
Anyways, Mike, do you remember <laughs> Brian's question before I... <laughs> I think I do. Something about percentage of businesses. I think it was percentage that I shoot on one card slot weddings and the other card slot storms. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I guess probably if I was thinking like income wise, maybe like 60% is weddings, 40% storms. Really? Um, it used to probably be bigger. It used to be a bigger uh, piece of the pie. It probably used to be more like 70, 30 or something, but you know, the, the stock side of the business is doing better. I cut back on some weddings in like, especially in May, I used to shoot like three or four weddings in May. And now I do tours out in the plains. So I kind of like some of it's like rearranging a little bit. Um, but business wise, I mean, I chase like six months now and the rest of the year I do weddings and family um, photography. So it's almost kind of evenly split the amount of time I would think, but I probably spend more time on storm stuff just in general. Your wife's favorite season is storm season. It's like yeah. those six months that Mike is gone is great. Her favorite phrase is to call herself a weather widow. <laughs> well, you know, this makes sense. <laughs> as, as you get better in your craft and you become more well-known, more of your business is going to shift that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one's ever knocking down my door for wedding workshops. So, <laughs> but well, it's the other so way around. I guess so the workshop side of things is where, you know, if we, now if we kind of dive into the storm photography side of things and, and just to kind of explain to people, you actually, you use a variety of radars and reports and communications uh, to determine mm -hmm. where major cells, storm cells are going to develop. You get there, like you hustle over there in your, in your truck, you get there, yeah. you take the photos, <laughs> you set up for time lapses. And it's just that easy. Yeah. yeah, well, it's but the thing is, it's <laughs> yeah. not because in, to a not. lot of people, I think weather is very boring. Like I see your some of the tweets where you'll retweet a meteorologist, and, and that's another thing is you actually yeah. have relationships with meteorologists. Like, oh yeah, like they're your I, friends. I, yeah. How long did you date Royal Norman? <laughs> Dude, Royal Norman <laughs> is so he calls me every now and then just to say. <laughs> Mike, is rain bomb the new term? Is that the new thing or something? I'm like, what? Oh my God. Anyway, the fact that Royal Norman calls me is so epic. He is such a great guy. I went to like this award thing he had at ASU where they dedicated something to him. And uh, I don't know, listening to him talk was awesome. But, um, and I forgot the question. Royal Norman, <laughs> we should say, because people are going to ask on the Twitters. Royal Norman is a legendary meteorologist in the Phoenix area, which is Phoenix, I think, is the fifth largest metropolitan area. Yeah. I lived there for 17 years. I've lived here for 43 years, and wow. uh, he's been on TV for like 25 years on Channel 3 or something, and he's pretty much a legend, and he does all the evening um, news um, all night. So he's he's wonderful. He's a great dude. So I'm, I, I get, and I think the audience gets the, okay, you need to be, well, well I, have, I mean, I have a thousand questions because like, for instance, is do you have a, a, a certain kind of like buffer or radius? Like if there's a storm that's like how far in advance time wise and mm -hmm. uh, distance wise, it, you know, do you need to be like if it's like, yeah, let's start with that. Typically, how far in advance with a t with time and distance uh, is a prediction? Well, I mean, it depends. I kind of have two. I have I chase for six months, but I kind of have two seasons. I have the plain season that is in the spring, and then I have the summer monsoon in Arizona. And once um, I'm done chasing the spring, when I'm home in Arizona chasing um, the monsoon here, 
I don't really go very far. I chase in Arizona, maybe New Mexico, but I've already um, burdened my wife with being gone most of the spring. So I don't... In the, in the summer, there's still times when there's great like tornado chances out, like in Colorado or something. And I just don't go um, because I've kind of committed to chasing out there for that, for that time. So, um, so it's different. So in the spring, I'll know sometimes five days ahead of time that there's something coming up. And it's going to be probably Eastern Colorado or Western Kansas. And I'll know. And then as things get closer, they, things get more narrowed down. The weather gets more, uh, the models become, you know, more in agreement. And I'll know that, yeah, in a couple of days from now, I'm going to be in Eastern Colorado. Um, and so that's kind of, that's kind of my, um, kind of like run and gun if I'm based in, I'm based in Phoenix. So when I've got no workshops or no tours, I just go out when there's something to chase, um, during the spring, like from a beginning of April till, uh, middle to end of June, I've kind of, you know, that's what I'll do. But if I'm doing tour groups, which is where I take people around, I'm out there for a set time. And so during that time, like seven days or 10 days, then um, every day we're trying to figure out where to be. And some days there's nothing to chase. And some days we're really? traveling from Bismarck, North Dakota to Montana for eight hours to set up for the following day and uh, and missing tornado of the year like last year. And the only moisture you're seeing are the, the tears in the eyes of the participants, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? That's the hardest thing, honestly, for this. And that's the, the reason I almost didn't get into it is if you're... I mean, I guess it could happen with any workshop. If you're going to go shoot a Milky... Do a Milky Way workshop for three nights and it happens to be cloudy all three nights, what's the workshop leader supposed to do? And so for me, it's almost the opposite. You know, I don't want clear skies. I need it completely stormy and lightning. Um, but all the people so far that I've brought along, they've all understood that none of us can control the weather. And they understand that there's going to be down days. And honestly, on you know, the 10 day tour I do in the spring, you know, from the end of May into June, 10 days and about eight to 10,000 miles of driving sometimes over that amount of time, people look forward to a day where we can sit in our rooms and do nothing but veg and edit photos and kind of do nothing. So you don't necessarily want to be chasing storms for 10 straight days exhaustingly. Um, you kind of need breaks. So if there are days that are quiet, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. Hopefully, you know, most people understand that. A lot of my tornado chasing are repeat customers, mm -hmm. uh, which I really, really like. They all keep coming back and I don't, and I like that because I don't want to risk getting that one person who doesn't understand why we're not chasing today. And, uh, well, yeah, it's, I, I, I can, I, I kind of equate it to doing a, like a waterfalls workshop here in the Pacific Northwest and, you know, it rains and it just rains a lot. And that's just, yeah. you kind of need it. And it, it, it yeah. is, you know, annoying and frustrating shooting in the rain but it's just you, you come if you if i were to do a workshop right now a waterfalls workshop it would be miserable the the attendees would hate it because we've just gone through this like insane heat wave summer where the waterfalls are dry it's beautiful outside it's 80 degrees right. and nice yeah. but you're gonna <laughs> the get these little screens yeah so i i kind of get that yeah. So, Mike, what I want to know is, because I know people are thinking this right now, is what apps do you use? Because I know you, I see you post those on social media. What are the apps that you need to have? And we'll get into the safety aspect because that's huge, huge, right? So Bleh, what, boring. What, <laughs> what apps do you need to be able to do this more effectively? Well, I mean, there's 
there's a couple apps to help you monitor the weather. Like Radar Scope is probably the bre- the best app for your phone that you can have to monitor the weather. There's a couple others that I don't know, but they have multiple levels, like a pro level that gives you lightning and more radar frames. Um, and you can integrate it with another service called Allison House, which is a website, and they'll integrate their data into it. Um, so that's kind of a must-have. I use another one called GR Level 3 on my laptop, which is a Mac that has Bootstrap on it because that program only runs on Windows. So I have to boot into Windows to use that one. I really like that one because it's got, I don't know, it's something about, it's a little more efficient. It's got better, kind of a better map on it, a more precise like GPS location. I can really zoom in to see where I'm at. Radar scopes maps kind of stink and all of us bug them. Can you please put Google Maps or something on there? And they just ignore it and they won't do it. I think they're worried about it slowing their app down. So, so anyway, those are the two that I really use to monitor the weather. But the rest of it to be able to do what I do is about learning where to go find model information, reading discussions on National Weather Service um, forecast offices, um, just tons of different areas where you are trying to predict what's going to happen. And even like a website that shows current environment and what might look like two hours from now. And um, and that stuff really comes into play a lot to kind of help you kind of guide you a little bit. Do you ever get like meteorologists who call you with like inside scoops like, hey, Mike, this crazy <laughs> cell is going to drop over? No, but I, but I have, but it's great because a lot of them, I will like, I can call them or talk to them or they'll call me and be like, where are you playing today? Like, where are you going to be? Like, in fact, it's almost not the opposite, not like they're asking me, but there's a lot of meteorologists that don't get out and chase. In fact, two years ago, I had a meteorologist from Sacramento on TV there, Mark uh, Finan. He is an awesome guy. Took my monsoon workshop years ago, but two years ago, he came out and did the planes chase with me. He's like, Mike, I have been doing weather on TV for so long, but I'm never out in these supercells. So we went out and he was there for 10 days. One day we got in the scary hailstorm with zero visibility, golf ball size hail. I was actually a little bit nervous about it. And um, I thought I knew we were safe, but you you never you, you still get nervous when you're getting blasted 70 mile per hour golf ball hail. Right. And afterwards, I was a little nervous. And he's like, that was amazing. He's like, I've never experienced that. And so after at the end of it, he's he's he said, I have a newfound like respect and knowledge about these storms, what they do, what they look like. And now when I'm um, on TV telling people about these, I can kind of tell them what to expect a right. little bit better. And so. So there's a lot of, you know, meteorologists that know the weather super well, but they don't actually chase. So a lot of times they're asking us, they want to know that they want ground truth. They want to know what's it look like out there? Where are you chasing? Like why, you know, but it's back and forth. It's like, sometimes you're clueless and you're like, dude, like my buddy, Jeff Beamish in Tucson, he's fantastic. One of my best uh, meteorology friends. And I'm like, what do, what do you think today? And he'll just, he'll tell me, he's like, oh, I would probably play out east because it's super cloudy here. It's going to be clear out there. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like confirmation and stuff like that. So, um, is it a competitive environment? Um, like, um, like you know, uh, th- <laughs> let me, let me, let me qualify this, the question. Yeah. Like wedding photography, I would say, and like portrait. I yeah. think that's a super competitive environment because unlike, let's say landscape photography, landscape photography, I think is a big, it's just a hodgepodge. You know, there's so few landscape photographers, I think who find any critical success um, business wise, because so many people are doing it. And, you know, I don't, I, I just don't know. I, you know, I don't know how uh, big the population is there, but when I think of like wedding and, and portrait, I think that's like a super competitive environment because you're dealing with people like people when you're doing a wedding it's it's a local thing right like you find a couple somewhere in your neighborhood somehow they need to figure out who you are um unless of course you're like just giant 
photographer and they fly you in. But it's not so competitive that people are showing up at the wedding trying to shoot the wedding that you've been hired to shoot. Though. Like, you <laughs> no. know, can you imagine no. that happens? It's definitely, I mean, weddings, I, I know that it's competitive, um, but I, at least for me, I've never, I think because my passion is in storms that for weddings, I've been able to just kind of, I do, I, I mean, like not tooting my own horn, but I feel like I do a pretty good job with weddings. People love uh, my work and they see a very relaxed kind of style and I get great referrals and I get have good SEO. And so I'm never worried. I shoot like 25, 30 weddings a year. And for whatever reason, yeah, things sometimes slow. Like last year, the bookings were kind of down a little bit. And, um, but I'm never worried. I have like a group of wedding photographer friends, three, four buddies, and we're in a text group and we all help each other all the time. And if I'm booked, I'll refer the wedding to like one of them or I have an associate that works for me and I'll give it to her. But we all help each other and there's zero competition among us. But, and I don't know if that's just because it's not, my whole like focus in life completely. But on the storm side of it is where I, I am way more competitive on the inside. I try hard not to be. <laughs> How does it work? Tough. Like competitive wise, like I, I get with, again, let's with weddings that the competition is, you know, getting bookings and referrals right. and stuff like that. But with, with storm chasing, like I feel like there are some people who they're very sensitive about it, um, yeah. about whether you're a bona fide storm chaser or just someone who you know happens to show up with your tripod and get a few shots and maybe get lucky because you were at the right place at the right time there's definitely you know it's probably like everything i mean i have seen you know on 500 picks landscape photographers just go off on each other because some landscape photographer was doing something or they're stealing their business or they're doing whatever and so i think probably in any field there's going to be <clears throat> drama, as we call it. So there's always all kinds of storm chaser drama. And there's definitely people that call themselves storm chasers that don't really chase, really. They might go out on the weekends and shoot storms around town, but they have a full-time job. So it's really hard to... It's hard to like... I am very lucky in the fact that I can do it full-time and I can pretty much go chase anything I want at almost any given moment as long as I don't have something with the family or a wedding booked or whatever. So I try to remember that if I'm ever feeling snobby about things but there are you know but there are people that you know that say that they're a storm chaser but they don't necessarily go out and drive far i mean i have a buddy john serlin and i and we are competitive in a very healthy way where we chase to the ends of the earth for the most part in the summers and in, in the in the spring and he lives here and we're always we're not you know it's a healthy one up each other what did you get last night and 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 also you know we're in the same storm together and that's always fun because if we're in different parts we're worried the other guy's getting something better than i'm getting and well is there like a code where like you know you know you roll up to a storm and there's someone already there like sharky's already standing there you know six foot 17 <laughs> inches that he is like shooting do you do you like are you not supposed to like park you know roll up next uh, to him like, I, I don't if I don't know the person, then I probably would go somewhere else. But I kind of I think out here in Arizona, I have all my spots picked out and I places I love. And if there's if I pull up to a place that I love and there's someone there, I don't care because that I've been there probably before they have because I've been doing this for like nine years. And the other storm chasers are all kind of there's a lot more storm chasers now that they've kind of realize what Arizona has to offer, especially, I mean, in Arizona, at least. Um, so I'm like, for, you know, whatever reason, those are like my spots and I'll be like, I'm just going to pull up. But if I see friends, we like to hang out. I, John, you know, there, there's a million times where I will, I pulled up at this spot where I've got this awesome lightning photo, my best ever down this road, looking down the superstition mountains. I pull up 
And literally 10 minutes later, I didn't tell anyone I was there. I didn't have my little spotter dot on, which we haven't talked about, but no one could see me on a map to know where I was. I pull up and shoot and my buddy Nick Leister shows up at the same place on the same storm at like 12 midnight. And we just happened to be picking the same spot because we both knew where to be. And, uh, and he was, you know, he pulled up and I was excited, like, hey, we get to shoot this together. But I was camped in the middle of the road because I'm like, I'm going to get this shot. And I would bounce around traffic and he did not try to go stand in the middle of the road, squat underneath me to get the same shot. He's like, I'm just going to shoot off over here. You were here first or whatever. And so that was was pretty nice. (laughs) You're out there playing Frogger just to get some great shots, right? I I did. I played Frogger for 90 minutes that night and got my favorite shot that I've ever gotten of lightning. So it was worth it. I don't do that very much because I'm usually impatient and like to chase and not sit and wait. Brian and I were laughing because we had the same idea. It was the same thought. It's like, you're out there. You've driven 17 hours. You left the wife and kids at home back in Arizona and you show up and there's that photo weenie Bob, you know, there's a, a term in amongst photojournalists and old time photographers called photo weenie. It's always the, the guy that's like pretending to be a photographer. Yeah. So there's guys out there who's like, you know, you've driven all those hours and someone's right there in Lincoln, Nebraska, not not uh, Brian, because Brian's moved now to Portland, right. but he he just shows up and he just like casually just like, you know, he's had his like his lunch or whatever. And he's like, oh, there's a storm cell you know, approaching. So what I want to know oh, yeah. is, do you, are you tweeting out where you're going to be? Are you keeping it kind of like on the down low, right? Cause do you um, don't- yeah, I used to do that. So, so there is something that I'd mentioned a spotter dot, like, so we're a lot of us chase are part of part of spotter network. So you can report things that are happening out there and put a spotter report in, like there's a half inch of rain in, in 10 minutes or hail the size of golf balls. Like you can report this stuff to the national weather service. So your dots can be turned on all the time where people can literally follow your dot all around the country as long as you keep updating it. So I have had people follow me because of that. And once in Texas, where I literally had to tell this European guy, hey, we're about to go down a road where there's not very good data. I don't want you following us because I don't. the storms are coming right at us and there's hail and I don't want to be responsible for you. So please stop following us. And, and I've seen a guy around... Arizona once where I'm like shooting on this road and all of a sudden I see this FJ go by and I'm like, I've seen that guy before. What's he doing here? And then I, you know, I realized I'd seen him on the north side of town past me earlier. And I'm like, what is he doing? Follow me. So I try some, I, I'm a little bit funny with that stuff. I will, a lot of times I like to just go out and chase and not tell anyone where I am. And sometimes I'm on a storm already and I'll turn my dot on to do like a report or just to turn my dot on and be like, here I am on this awesome storm and no one can really Follow me now because I'm already here. Mike. Yes. What's the best way to turn on your dot? <laughs> well, this show, we're trying to keep a clean rating. So I'm just going to keep that to myself. That's like the age old question. <laughs> Everyone's trying to figure that out. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Sharky, what I mean, do you, Sharky, have you, have you ever, like, do you, storm chasing, storm photography, is that something that's, you know, in your bag? Do you care about that stuff? That won't fit in my bag, but anyhow, if I got, I've got the largest 10 by you can get, but still won't fit. Um, you know, so I, I lived in Phoenix for, you know, the Phoenix area for, uh, 17 years, like I said, from 89 to 2006. So of course I've done storm chasing before because there is a phenomenon that you see in Phoenix. And Mike's talked about this before where people see this and they're like, that is not real. That just looks completely made up. I've never seen that before. Mike, why don't you go ahead and tell people what I'm talking about? Hubboobs. 
<laughs> hey, we're oh, trying to clean. We're trying to keep our clean rating, you know. But so listen, I'm just going to say right now, Mike has some of the best haboobs I've ever seen. So why don't you, <laughs> you know? So Mike, tell people what a haboob is. It's a it's a Middle Eastern term, but tell people what oh, a haboob is and just trigger. kind of describe it's a trigger it. word is what it this, is. Why is this so contentious? I, I and this just recently flared up again, right? It gets me fired up. It's ever since. Um, so in 2011, I shot this dust storm and I posted a time lapse. It was the most epic historic dust storm to ever hit Phoenix. And I posted online. I said, massive haboob hits Phoenix because I'd seen that word a million times on like uh, Middle Eastern and like the Sahara kind of dust storms where our troops were. I'd see like our you know military tents and you see a massive dust storm coming. In the local news on Phoenix, they call it a dust storm or they'll call it a, a haboob. Well, they didn't call it a, the, the, like the TV didn't really use that haboob word too much, but I would see it on like meteorological circles and like documents and like discussions, like the, the hardcore science guys would use it. And so I knew that word. And so when I posted that video, it went viral. And like within the next day, that word was being used on like all the TV networks and like nightly news and stuff. And people were laughing about how funny that word was. And that's where like it started to become more mainstream. And then as we got more of them and, you, and people started using that word more, all this hate came out. And it's incredible because I, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm from Arizona. I've, we've only called them dust storms. I don't understand why the media is trying to push this new word on us. And, <laughs> and that's like the funny ones where people just get like, they're just annoyed by the word because they've lived here forever. But it's the people that are racist about it that say, um, we don't need those Middle Eastern words over here. Let's just call them dust storms. A, a haboob is for the Arabs or something. And and I'm like, do you realize how many words on a daily basis you say, including the word monsoon, that is the same origin, but somehow this one makes you mad and the other one you don't have any clue about. And so it's baffling to me. What is the Infinity War, someone, and I'm sorry, I have to quote a Marvel film, but uh, there is <laughs> someone quote, he says, Midavalier, Thor says Midavalier or something. And, and then someone goes, you made up that word. And he goes, all words are made up. And I was like, I'm laughing. Like, that's true. Like all words are like made up. They all have like origins from somewhere. And to, to, to think that in America that we somehow have our words that no one else has and that we have to use American words is like mind blowing to me that anyone would even think that. So it's just a trigger. But, but to get away from all that crap, dust storms look sweet. And when you get really good ones, they're pretty, they're pretty amazing to see kind of roll at you and blanket like a city in dust. I love getting them just anywhere. And I, we've had a couple, we've had some really good ones this year. It's been really, really fun to have them kind of back in action again. Well, and that's where a time lapse comes in, right? So yeah. a haboob is a massive, we're talking miles wide and who knows how high it is, dust wall. It is a wall of yeah. dust that will come over you. And if you've ever been in it before, it is, well, it's, it's not dangerous, right? It's just it can be dangerous. It can, it can be. be, but most people in the Valley, as we call it, the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix, Arizona, know that, it, you know, you just know to kind of like close your windows, right? And just like, yeah, well, pull over, you know, slow down, pull over. If they're really dense, they're very dangerous. There's been, you know, especially down central Arizona around Picacho Peak is where a lot of times they originate. And there's been multiple fatalities and massive car, you know, pileups of with zero visibility suddenly out of nowhere where people are going 75 or 80 miles an hour. And so it can be dangerous. And so that's the, that's really the danger though. Otherwise you just sit in your car and wait for them to pass. You know, people, people worry about valley fever 
And as long as, you know, I, I, had, I don't know, I might have had it when I was a kid or something, but I don't ever get it anymore. So that's the other worry is respiratory stuff. And here's a pro tip. And I know you're going to back me up on this. Dust storms, as well as, uh, you know, when there's fog, you pull over to the side of the road and you turn off your lights because otherwise cars behind you will follow the lights and they'll smack right into you. And your visibility, yep. your depth perception in that is so so short. So we're saving yep. some lives right here. Yeah, that's yeah. It seems intuitive. A lot of people are like, why do I need to turn my lights off and all this stuff? I'm like, well, you don't want people to follow you and hit you and, and rear end you in the dark, you know, so you pull off as far as you can and basically cower down and hide and wait for the dust to clear. That's the best way to to be safe. Because your chances of getting hit from behind on the side of the road are a lot smaller than when you're on the road because someone will oh, yeah. smack into you. Well, and it's the people that stop on the road that are so frustrating. They just slow down and go to a, a stop and you're like, dude, pull over. You're you're endangering everybody out here. With uh, moving away from dust storms, but back to like uh, just like full on storms, like in your experience, because I, I we, we you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned this in a previous episode, you know, I started to see themes with the stories we were doing. And one of the major themes was stupid photographers doing stupid things. And yeah. so with with that kind of stuff, with storms, you know, what are your experiences in terms of, uh, you know, are, are people generally like smart about things or have you, or, or is it the kind of thing where like, man, I just need to get closer to the edge or, you know, not really. Well, you're, you're chasing storms, which are inherently dangerous. So if you're standing outside your car and there's lightning within 10 miles of you, you're probably in a dangerous area. If you're within a mile or two of a storm and lightning is striking a mile away or so, you're, you're doing something dangerous. So it's it's a little bit more, um, I mean, it, it just involves more danger inherently than just going out and shooting the Milky Way at night, unless you're, you know, shooting on the border of Arizona, Mexico, and there's, you know, coyotes or whatever. Um, so there is definitely like, it's definitely dangerous. There's, there's people that do silly stuff, you know, storm, there, a lot of people talk about, especially out in the plains, there's lots of people chasing. And so there can be, um, a lot of chaser traffic uh, on a storm and some people will pull over and just park on the side of a road and not necessarily pull all the way off to the shoulder. So they're kind of blocking traffic. Um, there's a lot of there's there's unfortunately um, a couple of years ago, the worst thing is one of my friends, Corbin, was killed by this. a couple other yeah. chasers because they were trying so desperately to get to a storm, which wasn't even producing a tornado that they were running multiple stop signs and doing like 65, 70 miles an hour running stop signs and plowed right into them. And all three were killed like almost instantly. And that's the, to me, that's the, um, the more dangerous aspect of it. The, the human elements. Yeah. You're staying outside a storm shooting lightning. It's close. You know, I just go sit in the car, close the door, let my camera do the work until it starts raining. Then I pack up. Um, but I generally, for me, I am pulling way out. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find locations that other people aren't going to be at. I try to find a dirt road where I can be, off by myself where there's not a bunch of cars. I'm trying to get a shot that's well-framed instead of just pulling off the shoulder with power lines and other cars in the shots. And so for me, I try really hard to kind of be away from people. So, you know, it's a little bit safer. Um, but that's, you know, the, people just do, people do whatever they do. But I don't think people, when you chase a storm, yeah, you get too close to a tornado. That's dangerous. But that's what chasers do. And, and a lot of them are very experienced. And they can be within a couple hundred feet. And I trust those guys because they, they've done, I don't want to get that close to a tornado, but um, some of these other guys do and they know what they're doing. Now, especially when you're shooting, you're chasing a tornado, ideally you want to try to be as close to like a four-way intersection as possible, right? So you give yourself yeah. 
some ways to go because yes. I've seen yeah. people before that they do they they box themselves in and they've got one way to go and they can't yeah. get onto the other side of the highway and they're just not going to get out of there. I am terrified of. Um, in fact, that that storm I mentioned earlier, the golf ball size hail and us stuck in it. We had no east route. We had to go south and we had another like three or four miles to get to the freeway so we could get east and we just couldn't get there in time. What's your handicap, by the way? My handicap. So you mentioned golf. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, God. Sharky. <laughs> Do you bring any clubs? I mean, I, you, yeah, God. I bring my golf clubs while I'm storm chasing to hold them up to the sky. To but help the thing the is, this is what, it wasn't even the first time. It's the second time he brought it up. Why did you decide to do that lame joke this time? He said a golf before, and that, now you're going on, on the second. I don't understand. You know, I, I just couldn't help myself. I'm like, I let it go once, and it was the biggest regret of this episode. I just had to go for it. It's too hard. He's like Michael Scott on The Office, where he's like, you're not allowed to say that's what she said. Yeah, yeah. Michael Scott can't say that, and he's like, and then they all, Jim just goes him into it, and he's finally like, that's what she said. I can't help it. <laughs> No, but um, uh, four. I just want to golf now. I forgot what we were talking about. Derailed. Well, we were talking about dangerous storms and, and golf. Oh, and yeah. Golf. Oh, the four way The four way road. I always, at least for me, I I have a healthy fear of storms and lightning and tornadoes. And for me, if a storm is coming at me and there's rotation of possible tornado, I will not stop in front of it unless I know that I'm able to get to a road that gets me out of the way, like in a quick manner. And I think um, I'm always looking for a spot to stop where I can drop to um, an east-west road and get back out in front. And so that's what I strive to do. There's been times where I'm on a north-south road and there's no east option. I know I've got five miles to go north, but guess what? The storm in front of me right now is so epic. I got to time-lapse this right now and I'm going to regret it if I don't. And then it gets closer and closer. I'm like, okay, it's time to go. And then sometimes... I go a little faster than I should to get out of the way, but sometimes you have a good excuse because there's a tornado worn storm bearing down on you. So, so you got to get out of the when, way. When when you're shooting, you get you pull up to a storm. Uh, do you is your methodology different based on whether it's like a rain and lightning storm versus say a, a tornado storm in terms of still photos versus video versus time lapse? Well, I mean, my whole goal where I think where um, the big chunk of my business is, uh, or a lot of. Uh, a large chunk of my business is stock footage. And so time-lapse has become kind of my main focus. So if I'm on a storm, I'm usually setting up my cameras at time-lapse at first. And depending on the kind of storm, like you said, lightning storm and rain or a tornado or a dust storm, it really depends on what I'm going to do. Am I going to be here for 30 minutes? And so I need to think about time-lapse intervals where I'm not shooting 2000 frames because I'm going to be here too long. But I still want to try to get like three to 600 for some short clip. And so I'm constantly thinking like, how long am I going to be here? going to be shooting every second, every two seconds, every three seconds. Which way do I aim? Because the storm is coming at me. Is it going to move by the side? Which way is the dust coming? Is the dust coming at me? Is it going to slide to my left? Like I'm, tr- I'm always trying to look at the radar and figure out where things are going to be. And so I get my time-lapse camera set up and I usually shoot one wide and one different, like a 50 or a 135 doing something different, a different angle from that spot. And then when that's going on, then I usually bust out my still camera. And, um, you know, right now I'm time-lapsing with the Canon 5 DSRs, and then I use a Sony A7R three for the stills, put a lightning trigger on it and point it at the storm. And hopefully I'm going to catch lightning with that camera. Um, sometimes a storm is not worth time-lapsing to me, but there's really good lightning in it. So I might just set up still cameras and try to get lightning strikes and not time-lapse anything. If it's really, really dark and lightning is few and far between, there's really no reason to do a time-lapse because you just, it's not that active. You're gonna have a bunch of dark frames that are pointless. So I'll just shoot stills 
you know, for the fun of it. So it's very, everything is different. It's a really interesting time lapse and it's a very interesting thing to do when you're chasing because a lot of chasers, they get to stay in front of a storm, get the structure. It gets close. They move off two miles. They shoot more. They, get, they move off two miles. It gets you know, closer. And for me, I pretty much have to sit and wait um, to see what the storm's going to look like when it gets to me. So, Mike, when you're out there and everything's going down, you're all business, right? Like when I shoot football games, I don't want other photographers talking to me. Like a lot of times I'll put headphones in just so they don't talk to me. And I'm not trying to be rude. It's go time, right? You know, this is the Super Bowl for you. Yep. You're, yep. You're, this is what you're making your money on. So and there's there's always going to be those guys or gals, mostly guys, because women have sense, right? Who are going to be like, <laughs> hey, what, what are your settings? And like, oh, hey, this God, is this no. the best one you've ever seen, right? Yeah. Well, um, I will run into that a little bit. I do like to chase without people because exactly um, to your point, people will start talking and you'll start and I get distracted and I need to be focusing on a storm. Um, I've actually in the last last year, I had two cameras fall over um, and one of them snap a lens in half. One of them um, I left because I forgot because I got distracted both times, which was great. I love these people. But both times I was talking to people and got distracted. And, and it's a tough thing to be distracted when you've got like 30 to 40 mile per hour winds and lightning and storms bearing down on you and multiple cameras doing multiple things. To get distracted is really tough. And I you know, left the camera behind last year because I packed up two of them and drove off because I thought I got all of them. Um, luckily, both cannons both kept shooting after they fell down and got drenched in rain. But yeah, and, I, and so it's tough. I feel like if I am with people and talking to them or hanging out on the side of the road, that's when I stop moving fast. That's when I'm like, oh, I don't want to bail yet because I'm hanging out with some buddies. Maybe I shouldn't leave yet, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so... I have to get away from that. And the other, the hard part is I lead tours. And so then I'll have two people with me or I'll have another car following me where I've got like five people with me. And I have to like get in the mindset that I don't care about these people right now and what they're doing. Like if we get out and we start shooting and I'm like, nope, this is no good. Everyone back in. Like I have to almost be a um, hardcore about it to say. And, and that gets me sometimes where I'm like, hey, I just got everyone out of the car. Everyone set up their tripods. They're all slower than me. So they're all taking... <laughs> A little longer to get things set up, and um, and I'm like, you know what? In my head, I just want to pack up and go because this is not that great. Once I set up, because I do that all the time. Like, ah, this this is not it. This is not a good spot. And um, so I have to play that game where I have to decide. And so it's it's definitely I'm definitely more free, and I don't know for sure, but usually it seems like I end up producing my best work when I'm off by myself. So yeah. So you know, you had mentioned that a big chunk of your business with storm chasing uh, is t stock photography, time lapse of video. Where, right. like, which stock agency do you go through? Um, well, for the longest time, I just licensed it on my own, and um, and so that's been pretty, um, you know, profitable more than I thought. You know, when I that, that dust storm I mentioned in 2011. You know, once that kind of went viral, suddenly people wanted to license it. And I had no idea people did that. I mean, zero clue. I, I got into storm chasing for zero um, money reasons. I got into it because right. I loved it. So the fact that something came out of it like blew my mind. So, you know, that, you know, that turned into things like Al Gore was licensing it for climate change talks and commercials for like air conditioners and random stuff. It's been in like some nat National Geographic special, I think North America series licensed that and some other dust storm clips. So that's what set me on my path. And so, um, a lot of like my stock footage gets found on Vimeo, which is, you know, people go there looking, they'll search for stuff and they'll find, I mean, Vimeo has got such high quality films that have a lot of great stock footage in it. People will always say, Hey, I found your stuff on Vimeo. We want to license some clips from it. And, um, but I joined, um, I did join film supply. They actually, um, asked me to be a part of them a couple years ago when they first started. And that's been, um, and that's been pretty great. Um, it's, you know, it started off a little bit slow at first, but the income from it is great. I mean, it's, you know, like takes the place of like, 
like a wedding or two a month. And um, it's, it's a nice kind of like passive income source that I'm not really doing any work. And there's a lot of little things that come from it. I mean, <laughs> amazingly, last year and the year before around Easter, how many churches spend like 100 bucks, 150 bucks licensing footage for their Easter songs to have like backgrounds or whatever they're doing. Um, and it's amazing all these people that would never come to me and gosh, like after all the licensing I've done, trying to send an invoice to someone for 100 bucks is like so tedious, I don't even want to do it. And so just the fact that these people can go to Film Supply and license stuff is great. And I love Film Supply. Film Supply is a sister company to Musicbed and they just, they're such high quality. They have, they're high quality people. They, they seem to um, really... Um, love their artists. They're they're more curated group. They don't just accept everybody, you know. So I'm pretty much the only um, storm time lapse person on their site. They don't. They're not gonna like have anyone else. And right. and so that's been a really really um, honor to be a part of that because I think they're such high quality people. And um, so that's been so that's kind of like my stock agency, and they allow me to you know I'm able to license stuff on my own too. So very cool. Well, that, that that's a lot of good a lot of good information i, I like I, I and i've said it for i don't know years. if i should say all of that but it's there <laughs> no i i i like i've always wanted to go shooting with you and it just hasn't been in the cards it came close last year i thought that i'd be able to do especially since I was yeah i thought Alaska. we were going to i know and things just kind of fell through but i i um i know both nicole and i are, are itching to to get out there with you uh on one of yeah. your workshops just because you know for for us it's um we're obviously not, you know, and like Sharky, do do you guys have a lot of storm? Do you get like major storms? Because I know we don't in Portland. We don't get like thunder or lightning storms at all. So the Boise, Idaho area is we're high desert. And so we get all kinds of crazy stuff, but it's mostly just, you know, snowstorms. We don't have any crazy lightning storms here. Right. It's like it's pretty mild. Yeah, you did have a supercell right over Boise, though, um, this past year, because I have a friend that works in the... Oh, Pocatello office. Is that right? Pocatello? Poca something? Pocatello, yeah. Pocatello. So anyway, I know there's Supercell really close to Boise. And then um, and then there was some out by um, Eastern Idaho, I believe, like some really like tornadic Supercell. So it, it you know, Montana is a really good place to chase. And a lot of times those storms um, late spring, like mid to late June into July, that's where the, the severe weather season moves up further up north, like up into Canada and stuff. And so Idaho will start getting some um, better storms. But I mean, that's the thing is like, we don't have that. So it's not something that I can really actively practice unless I'm willing no. to drive and spend weeks on end, uh, if not months in, in your neck of the woods down in the Southwest. But yep. so it's like, I'd rather just kind of pick a time during the year where, you know, it's a consistent, obviously, and I totally get it. There's no yeah. way to guarantee, but no. I want to be with someone who knows what they're doing, not to tell me how to set things up. And I'm sure that's something that, you know, you get to you talk about while you're driving eight hours to the location. Yeah. Well, you know, I do that during the monsoon work. I actually do a workshop during the monsoon because we based out of Tucson. We go there every night. And then that way we will talk about stuff in the morning and I teach people about settings and all that. But the plane stuff after tornadoes, I call them tours. That's what all the other people call them. And I don't teach people anything unless they ask. And I don't mind answering questions and all that kind of stuff. But sure. it's really, they all know it's really to pay for my trips <laughs> so I can right. chase. They come along and can do whatever they want, take photos, enjoy the enjoy the storm chaser life for seven days. But I'm jumping out of the car first, setting up my camera and not caring too much about making sure other people get their shots. But they but they know that's what it is. That's that's the deal. Well, it's valuable. They're getting they're with an expert in this. So but do you ever bring like a model out there too and do like portraits 
Good question. Because I, no, I remember, I you know, Ben Von Wong, you know, famously yeah. took people out in, in front of a storm and did that because that would be a great, I think, way to add some more extra to it. Those fo- photos by him were incredible. Like, I'm beautifully set up, great lighting. I, I would never, I could never have the patience to do that kind of stuff. But Mike Mazul t- had took a girl with him a, la- a couple of years ago and got this girl with this beautiful white dress, this green field and a tornado behind her. I don't even know how he got that lucky. It was a wonderful photo and I've seen lots of people try to copy it since then. But, um, I actually have a couple that really wants to go out with me um, this spring and do a storm chase tour, but also do engagement photos. Um, and so I think we're going to try to make that happen. It's amazing how little I get asked to do that, but it's also a tough thing because it's basically, hey, we got to go out for three or four days, hope we get good photos and get in the front of a good storm and that they're you know awesome. So it's kind of a, it's a tough thing to kind of throw to the wind and and uh, and hope that it works out. Otherwise, you're going to be shooting them in front of every Shoney's out there. Is the Shoney's still <laughs> around? Hmm. I never stop at those. I don't even know if I see those. Maybe every Sinclair's. <laughs> every um. Oh, every Allsup's. That's the uh, Storm Chaser gas station. Allsup's burritos apparently are the best thing ever, but I've still never had one. I don't know. When you're on the road, eating burritos might be a little yeah. sketchy. That's why I don't eat them. Travel toilet. Just I think since we're getting to that point, I'm pretty sure that that's a good indication that we should probably wrap things up. <laughs> it's starting when we to get to the, the travel gutter. toilet in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even ask you, like, what do you do when you have to use the restroom out during storm chasing? We'll save that for next time. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, audience. We're not going to talk about Mike's bowel movements while he's shooting the thunderstorm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sharky. Um, yes, Brian. Do you have something to ask me or should I ask you? You know what, Brian? I'm going to ask you. All right. Brian, yeah. what's on your gear shelf? Well, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to ask Mike what <laughs> is on your gear shelf. Hot potato. I, and it better, it better not be some lame feature of a camera app that I can't. <laughs> yeah, no more iPhone features. Yeah, no iPhone um, features. Well, okay. Um, I, I, I can't remember what they're called. Um, <laughs> I'm the worst oh, at this. I, I'm so bad at gear. Okay. But when I do time lapse, dust spots are a huge problem. If I have a dust spot on my sensor and I have to fix it later, it makes me want to quit what I'm doing because sometimes they're really hard to get rid of. And you can't just Lightroom spot fix and think it's awesome because blue sky and clouds mix up and it's not great. And other reasons why it's not great. So you got to do a lot of extra work. So when I'm out in the field, I use one of those little magnifying glass things that have the light on them and they they come with like a sensor cleaning kit. I cannot remember where I got it. Oh, yeah. But it lets you magnify to look at your sensor with a light to look for dust. You blow out, you do like your little rocket blower, blow out your sensor, then check to see if there's anything there. Set your camera to F16, take a picture of a blue sky. If you still see a dust spot, blow it out again, maybe check to see where it is with that little magnifying glass. And um, and if you still got it, then you, you know, I just bought some gel sticks that um, Drew Geraci um, recommended the other day. I've I've seen those gel sticks that kind of stick and pull Mm -hmm, that dust mm -hmm. off your sensor. I've seen those recommended lately and I'm trying to go to that because I use the sensor swabs a lot and um, they work, but I feel like sometimes maybe I get like a residue on there that I don't want. So I'm going to try this gel stick, but dust spots are a super important thing. If you're getting into time-lapse, Flicker is bad, but dust spots are one of the worst problems I see. And so having, you know, having the tools to be able to clean that is, uh, that's my uh, <laughs> pick for the week. All that stuff. Nice. I dig it. All right. So awesome. Brian, what's on your gear shelf? What's on my gear shelf is a brand new piece of gear. I actually just got a couple of days ago and I'm completely in love with it. And it's the new DJI Mavic 2 Pro. Uh, I ordered Ooh. it. The, it was announced last week and uh, kudos to DJI. Unlike most other companies that announce something and it doesn't ship for months, DJI is like, okay, you order it, it ships tomorrow. And so um, I always, I had the Mavic Pro, which I'm 
uh, trying to sell, but I liked it, but it, it, it was lacking in, in the image quality department because it was like a one and two thirds inch sensor, really small sensor, and, and the optics were okay. The Mavic 2 Pro uh, iterates in, in, in all sorts of ways. It's got a, you know, one inch sensor, you know, Sony sensor's got a Hasselblad lens. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's quiet, uh, has some really cool, f- uh, uh, you know, image, uh, modes like hyperlapse modes. And cause I'm uh, speaking of, you know, Mike talked a decent amount of stock photography. I've been spending, I, I have, I use Stocksy as my stock agency. Uh, and I was, just, I'm looking at film supply now as well. Uh, I've been moving away from, uploading stills and focusing a lot more on video so a lot of these stock agencies are there fo- they, they really want video and it takes me it takes like a week or so for a still to get approved it it took like a day for videos to get approved because they're so hungry for video and i'm really happy that with the with the mavic 2 pro it gives me you know 4k it gives me d-log you know so i can get i can um, record ungraded uh and it's just i don't know if you're into aerial drone photography and you've got like close to eighteen hundred dollars to spend after assuming you get the fly more bundle, which gives you the extra batteries and stuff. Uh, I really recommend it. Uh, I've been very I flew it a few times uh, already and I'm super, super happy with it. It's just like it's not often that a company iterates on a product and just it, it's meaningful in, in a lot of ways. Um, so so big, big kudos to DJI with the Mavic 2 Pro. I, I'm, I'm actually pretty interested in that because they have that new hyperlapse mode. And I really have a hard time with drones when I'm out chasing because I have too much going on. So putting up a drone is just another extra thing. And a lot of, you know, it's very windy and stuff. So it's hard. But mm-hmm. the, the hyperlapse feature that kind of comes built into that now is very intriguing. So I might have to try that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I do recommend it. The, you know, you're still going to get about 20 to 22 minutes or so of flight time per battery. Uh, because and depending on, you know, if you're if you're having it send over HD video, uh, you know, right. to, to, free to preview and stuff like that. But it and also, you know, how much stabilization needs to use. But it's a it's a solid it's a solid drone and it folds up. It, that's the other thing. The problem, I used to have a Phantom and I never took it anywhere because it was gigantic. You need a second bag just for it here with um, the the Mavic 2 Pro and, and the Mavic Pro. Uh, I just add another little internal core unit in my Shimoda bag and it's it's I, in my drone, the controller and all the accessories fit in it and it's perfect. So, and we should say you're a Shimoda like ambassador or something. I am a member of their pro team. That is correct. Awesome. Sharky, what's on your gear shelf? What's on my gear shelf is similar to what I recommended before. You know, before I, I one of my gear picks was the Think Tank Photo Pixel Pocket Rocket little memory card holder, right? It's like a Velcro kind of thing that you open, you know, and well, it's like made of whatever it is, but it Velcro's shut. It's the little details, the little improvements that make things better. So Tenba has a product called the Tenba Reload SD9 Card Wallet, and they've got different versions. And this is, it, it seems like such a stupid little thing, but their little pockets in there are angled. So you can get those SD cards in and out a lot more easily without having to futz around trying to get, you know, your fingers in there and mess around with your cards. You know what I'm talking about? So instead of ha- having it just go across the little pocket, it's angled. So it's easier to grab it and yep. and put it in there. So that's simple. It's about $17.95 on Amazon. And uh, there you go. Nice. I dig it. All right. So Brian, I think we had a great episode again. Perhaps because Mike was here. I don't know. We'll let the audience decide on that. But uh, it was a pretty good episode. Don't you think so? I, I definitely think so. I, I, I really enjoyed diving really deep into at least the type of photography that I've always been interested in with someone who's done it 
Well, well, Mike, why don't you let's let's start at least by you know for people who are interested. Uh, let's let's tell them how uh, they can learn more about you, Mike. Um, you can find me on mikeolbinski.com or just Google my name. Um, the main you know areas: Twitter, Instagram, Vimeo, YouTube. Facebook, yeah, but everywhere, <laughs> man, everywhere, Flickr, um, but yeah, all those general places you can find me there, and uh, yeah, very cool, awesome, Brian. Where can people find you? And I'm going to mention, even though you're not going to, people can buy stuff on your site as well as Nicolzy's. You don't want to promote your stuff, Nicolzy.com, NicoleSY.com. A lot of great ebooks, and uh, if you're an Illuminar and stuff, there's all kinds of things there. Come on, you got to shill for yourself. <laughs> Matias.com. Well, there you go. I mean, they, he said it right there. It's Matias.com uh, and store.matias.com if you are interested in presets and textures and ebooks uh, for photographers. Uh, and then I am at Brian Matias, B R I A N M A T I A S H, uh, on the socials. Uh, and just for, for people with Mike, it's M I K E, not like M Y Q E, Olbinski, O L B I N S K I. And uh, Sharky, you. you, of course, Mike, I got I got you. <laughs> I host the Petapixel Photography Podcast again. Got the plug in super, super late way, here. Way late. <laughs> way, way hey. late. People punched out already. I'm Lens Shark on all the socials that matter. Again, not Lens Shark. I'm not responsible for what that guy says. So if you want codes, if you want to save 20% off on a bunch of really cool stuff, some of the best brands in photography and videography go to lensshark.com slash deals and i would appreciate it and i've got some big news coming up in a month or so for my podcast i can't talk about it yet because i signed an nda but it is massive there you go you keep you keep um teasing that and i'm a little frustrated that i still don't know (laughs) oh yeah you don't want to see the the facebook messenger chat i had with him (laughs) not 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 for not for pg rating on this show (laughs) <laughs> All right. All so right, sure. why don't you say we clap it out on the Let's count of three? Ready? Yeah. One, two. We'll fix it in post. No. No, we won't. Love you, brother. Love you too. Bye. Bye bye. I'll just be waiting for you guys until next time. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do a clap. Um, all right, guys, clap. Sharky, count it. One, oh, two. <laughs> how does that work? I didn't think, no one said three, so. Someone was way <laughs> off. <laughs> Chad. Oh, one, two. Gotcha. Oh yeah, no, you don't. You can't. I'm an amateur. I'm an amateur podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You have your tuple ready. For, this is forty. This is this is I've, uh, this is a tough one. What's the tuple? Are you serious? Yeah, I think you mentioned it last time. The tuple? What do you mean? No, what are you talking? The tuple? What is that? The tu- You know how every every beginning of every show, oh, Sharky's like, "So yeah. Brian, here we are," and I say, "We have so and so." Our episode output. That's a t- the, that unit unit is called the tuple. Oh, the tuple, the tuple. <laughs> oh gosh, I thought it was like a golly. Yeah. All right, all right. Got it. This is gonna be a great show. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Brian's smiling. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Uh, uh. <laughs> all right, you ready? Sure. <laughs>